morning. It's good to be here. My name's Dean. I'm one of the pastors at Alpine. It's always great to come up to Logan and be with you. And so today we're uh, continuing our series on anxious, uh, anxious for nothing. Um, somebody greeted me this morning and said, do you have anxiety all figured out? And I said, no, not really. In fact, I'm anxious about doing this series on anxiousness. So um, anyways, it's great to be with you. We are in week four of our series, and today we're going to be looking at when people make you anxious. And actually, I've been working, preparing for next week, which is on finances, being anxious with our finances. And I really thought that was going to make me more anxious than this week, but as I got into this week, it became a little heavier and heavier um, on my heart, and so um, I hope it comes across today um, for you that uh, we can really deep delve into this whole issue of being anxious in our relationships. So far, we've seen that uh, Philippians chapter 4 is really the chapter that deals with anxiety in the Bible. It's very popular, especially verses 6 and 7, which we kind of started our series off with on, where we saw that Paul showed us um, that we could replace that anxiety cycle with a peace cycle. And so those verses are very well known. Uh, but there are some other verses in this chapter, chapter 4, that are not as popular. Probably you've never even thought about or maybe you've passed over, but you probably definitely haven't heard a sermon on these two verses. But they're verses 2 and 3 of chapter 4 of Philippians. And so they say this, and Paul says, now I appeal to Yodia and Syntyche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. This must have been of some significance for Paul to have included it in his letter to the churches in Philippi. There must have been something that really bothered him or was significant that he wanted to make sure that this got resolved. Two women that had played a significant role in sharing the gospel with him in this area, obviously are in disagreement with each other. What? We don't know. We could make some assumptions, but they would just be assumptions. What we do know, it was obviously known by others. And it was obviously apparent that Paul was unsettled enough by it that he wanted to make sure that they were reconciled. It's interesting that he doesn't blame either individual, or he doesn't really take sides. He just asks that it gets taken care of. 
And maybe he was a little anxious about it, but I'm sure that the two women were anxious about it because with any disagreement comes anxiety. Wouldn't you agree? You always become anxious when you're in a disagreement. Are they mad at me? Who is going to side with me and side with them? What are others going to think about me? What if I bump into them? How is this going to end? Well, so much for the Christmas party this year. I remember coming out of seminary not agreeing with the position of the Christian organization um, that I was part of, and it really made me anxious. It really wasn't just their position that I had an issue with, but it was their attitude about that position that I really was struggling with. And so I became very anxious. I didn't know where it was going to lead, what it was going to do, impact my position that I was in, or what it was going to do to the ministry. But what about you? I'm sure you have experienced disagreements with others caused anxiety in your life. Perhaps there's somebody right now in your life that would fall into that category of having a strained relationship. What about any anxious thoughts coming up this upcoming week with family at Thanksgiving during this holiday season and relationships with them? I bet one, at least one of these applies to that situation. There's probably someone you feel like you have to rock around on eggshells with. You're, you know exactly what you don't want to bring up because you know if you bring it up, it's going to cause some issues. And so you're very careful on what you say because you don't want to cause any risks. Or maybe there is an unresolved matter that is the elephant in the room. And so everybody knows what it is, but nobody wants to talk about it, and so it just kind of increases the anxiety of everybody there. Maybe there is someone that pushes other people's buttons and just likes to do it. Maybe they do it to you, maybe they do it to others, and it just gets under your skin. Maybe you get pulled into a conflict between two sides. Hopefully it's not your wife and mother or vice versa, <laughs> but it happens where you find yourself right in between. Or maybe there's someone that's always pointing the finger, wanting to blame you for everything that's going wrong. Any of these are bound to raise your anxiety. And what's unfortunate is that these just don't happen around the Thanksgiving dinner meal. They also happen around the Lord's Supper. I've been part of many churches and at many locations, and I have to say that more often than not, when there's a disagreement between two people in the church, what unfortunately happens most of the time is one of them leaves the church. 
Maybe at Alpine you could go to another service. At Logan it would be a little harder to go to another campus. But that is not what God calls us to in our relationships in the church or even outside of the church. So let's see how God calls us to settle our disagreements and overcome the resulting anxiety. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Our man maybe is right. So first, God calls us to c- commit to being a peacemaker. Romans 12:18 says, "Do all you can to live in peace with everyone." Another translation that I kind of like is, "If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men." Now, this doesn't mean that you are passive in your relationships where there is a disagreement and you sit back and you say, hey, I'm good. Um, I have no issues. Uh, if they have something they want to talk to me to, about, I- I'm here. How many have said that? I've, I've said that. But that's probably not the attitude that the Prince of Peace has um, with us. His relationship and his attitude is not one of passivity. Um, he's active. He's proactive in making peace possible for us. Jesus didn't just talk about peace. He demonstrated it by his actions so that we could have peace. In addition, in his church, The major focus right off the bat was the Gentiles and Jews were commanded to tear down their cultural barriers and make sure that they were united as one. That whole theme of unity and being at peace runs throughout the New Testament. In fact, Paul earlier in Philippians uh, writes this, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? The answer would be yes. Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. It's a beautiful thing to witness, to be on mission, to be of one mind. No longer our mind, our purpose, but Christ's. We recognize we exist and we come together for a greater purpose. Any successful team, whether it's a business or a sports team, has that as their foundation. That they work together, that they care about each other, and that they exist for a bigger purpose. I'm not much of a Raiders fan. In fact, I don't like the Raiders. Um, I'm not sure I like football anymore, but um, I'm not a Raiders fan, but their quarterback, David Carr, was um, last week uh, was uh, interviewed, and he was very emotional, and 
the news made a big issue about him being emotional. Um, and he was basically communicating that he was all in, but he wasn't sure about the rest of the team. That there were others on the team that weren't bought in, that didn't have the same purpose. And it was leading to disagreements and anxiety within the team. As Christians who belong to Christ, who know his love, who the Holy Spirit indwells, how much more should this characteristic of unity be demonstrated in us? Paul says in Ephesians 4, I entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We are not called to bail on our relationships. We are not called to ignore our disagreements. We are not called to increase our anxiety or other people's anxiety. We are called to be peacemakers. Because why? Well, if we go back to verses 2 and 3 of our passage, it's because we belong to the Lord. Christians are to be peacemakers because Jesus is our peacemaker. It's a core value for followers of Christ. We are to settle our disagreements. We are to be at peace with others. Well, second, God calls us to settle our disagreements and overcome the resulting anxiety by putting yourselves in other shoes. Philippians 2.4 says, don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Well, that sounds pretty nice, but often we really don't care about other people's shoes, especially when their interests don't match our interests or conflict with our interests. My wife and I have a little lot um, with an RV on it down in St. George, and we just recently got it, so I was down there to take care of some business real quick on the RV. And it, St. George is a little warmer, so I had my dog with me. It's a husky. So she was in the back, and so I left my truck on. And I think I had seen the neighbor once before, um, and these lots are pretty small, so they're right next to each other. And so um, I was doing my work, and the gentleman came out and started yelling at me and cussing at me and telling me to turn my truck off. And at the moment, my interest was my dog, and I didn't know what his interest was. I, my truck wasn't making a lot of noise, nor were there fumes going near him. But I obviously found myself in a disagreement. And at the moment, at that moment, I really didn't care 
about putting myself in his shoes. All I cared about was my dog. And I told him that. I said, do you want my dog to die? It was only later, after getting away from the situation and asking myself, well, what am I going to do with this situation, that I take the moment to say, okay, what did I observe? Well, I observed a man that probably served in Vietnam. He was totally unshelved. Um, he, was, he, he was alone. He had no one else. And he probably had some issues. And eventually, I found out that that was true. And I mean, the issues were so severe that he was turning off our water to our RV at nighttime. But being able to try to put myself in his shoes helped the situation. And the truth is that whenever we're in disagreement with others, there's really a reason. A different perspective due to needs, due to fears, due to experiences, our environment, that we would be good for us to attempt to understand. Because if we don't take the time to do that, and the other side doesn't take time to do that, that, that disagreement's not going to go anywhere. It's only going to grow, right? What if we not only looked at putting ourselves in another person's shoes, but what if we took time to look at our own perspective? Is our perspective always right? Do we pray that prayer in Psalms that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. More than likely, if we pray this prayer, we will find that our heart is not always pure. We will find that our position is not always as clear as we thought it was. Usually for, my, for me, God reveals that I'm being a bit selfish. When you put yourself in someone else's shoes and you humbly consider your perspective, it puts you a step closer in settling those disputes and losing that anxiety that comes along with it. Those are two big things, being a peacemaker and looking at others' interests. Third, God calls us to talk to them, not about them. Matthew says, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Now, not every disagreement is because somebody has committed a sin against you. But in conflict, it is far easier to talk about someone than to talk to them. In fact, it's kind of almost natural for us 
We do it all the time. We don't even have to think about it. We seek somebody out or someone will come running to us and say, hey, I heard that so-and-so doesn't agree with you on this and we're more than happy to sit down and have a conversation with them about why we're right because we want somebody on our side. We want somebody to validate our position. And even if we're right about the situation, the way we're handling it is not the right way. Jesus believed that every human is created in the image of God, that people matter to God, and that they should matter to us. We need to reach out and make attempts to resolve those disagreements. And maybe the individual hasn't sinned against you, and maybe they have. Maybe you have attempted to talk to them. Maybe it hasn't worked out. Maybe you need to take another step. Just like Paul is encouraging in Philippians 4, that there'd be somebody that comes, a mediator that comes to try to resolve this disagreement. Now, I'm sure you're sitting here thinking, and I thought this while I was preparing this, it's like, okay, so this sermon's supposed to be about getting rid of your anxiety and your relationships, and now you're telling me I need to go talk to this person, which is only going to increase my anxiety, right? I don't have an easy answer for that. Um, but what does love require us to do? Romans says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good, love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Love requires action. And when you step out, you prove to yourself, you prove to them, you prove to the Lord that you value them enough to do the hard thing. Isn't that what we would want? I think that's what we'd want. Who is God calling you to talk to? Well, you think if it is hard enough to talk to people, God's final action that he calls us to is going to make us shudder. God calls us to be ready to absorb the offense. Occasionally, when you go talk to somebody, it works out. You work through it, you apologize to each other, you give each other hugs, and you move on with life. But sometimes, that's not reality. Sometimes you make those attempts, it doesn't work out, the feelings are still hurt, apologies are not offered. Well, what happens then? When you've done all you can to make peace with somebody and the conflict remains, there's only one option left, and that's to absorb the offense. You know, that is what Jesus did for us on the cross. He absorbed the wrath we deserved for our sin. He took it upon himself. 
He didn't walk away. He didn't find another service. He didn't go to another campus. He absorbed the offense. Philippians 2 says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus emptied himself of all of his rights as God to come and walk among us. He chose humility. He chose to sacrifice. He chose to look at the bigger picture. Let me ask you a hard question. When is the last time you emptied yourself of all your rights? Seriously. Think about it. When did you have every right not to forgive somebody and you still went and forgave them? When did you have every right not to help somebody and you went and helped them? When is the last time you took your status, your rights, your feelings, and laid them aside for someone else to ensure that that relationship wasn't destroyed. When we understand all that Jesus endured for us, we have no right not to absorb that offense. Remember, the purpose of absorbing the offense is to settle the dispute, to reconcile that relationship. And that means we have to put it behind us and graciously move forward in that relationship. Does it hurt? Does it rip at your gut and cause sleepless nights? You bet. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, I have found the paradox that if you love until it hurts, There can be no more hurt, only more love. Definitely not natural, contrary to normal, only possible when we consider what God's love for us and his willingness to absorb our offense. Well, maybe you're thinking to yourself, I think I'll just hold on to my anxiety. (laughs) It may be a little bit easier just to have some anxiety rather than going through these steps because they may cause a lot more anxiety or they may cause a lot more pain. But it's the way of the cross. 
and for those who have been saved by it. You know, Star Wars and the Mandalorian theory, uh, series that was out recently, and Mandalorian always said, it's the way. Well, it's the way of the cross. Don't really have a choice. Our choice is to be a peacemaker, to consider other people's interests, to talk to them, to absorb the offense. Because it all boils down to one thing. And this is what it boils down to. Let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. If you've been saved by the cross and you know God, there is freedom from anxiety in relationships. If you don't know God, there's nothing but anxiety. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Um, sometimes it's um, hard to receive. Lord, help us not just to walk away from what you're communicating to us today. Father, help us um, take the steps that are necessary to be in good relationships and not to just have disagreements existing with others. Father, help us to really, truly be at peace because you've given us peace. Help us to have interest in others because you first loved us. Help us to absorb that offense because you've absorbed that offense. Help us to take action. Help us to love. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.